The Art of Connection and Communication, How to Listen and Be Heard. This theme lies at the heart of, I would say, literally, every interaction, relationship, whether it's between spouses, between parents and children, between friends, between strangers, between business associates, between cities, states, countries, empires. Because we each have our own perspective on things, for good or for bad. Sometimes it's a very healthy and powerful perspective. Sometimes it's distorted, biased, prejudiced. And yet, we need to interact with each other. There's a give and take to life. There's a negotiation. There's a transactional element to it. And I don't mean in a business sense. I mean it in simply being able to coexist, and more than coexist, to complement each other. Because nature, after all, is a symbiosis. Just like the bees that pollinate the flowers, each giving and taking, they receive their nectar, their sustenance, and then they pass on the pollen, essentially perpetuating that particular species. Everywhere you look in nature, there's that relationship, symbiotic relationship of a give and take. And the same thing is with human beings. Nobody is good at everything. Nobody's perfect. So we complement each other. I always love the analogy of music. You have a beautiful symphony. Many different types of instruments, different musicians, different sections. Each has its role and each complements the other. And if you don't do your part, others are compromised. And if they don't do that part, you're compromised. The human body is that way. There is essentially nothing in existence that doesn't have that type of relationship. Yet, because we humans have an additional element, we don't always follow the script, so we can have disagreements, discord, that can lead to divisiveness and can lead, unfortunately and tragically, to war. So the art of connection and communication, how to listen and be heard, which is that give and take, lies at the heart of all success. And every failure can be traced to the, a deficiency in this interaction. I remember once giving a uh, workshop for public speakers. I often train speakers due to my own experience. And uh, the key focus is always not to make them speak like you do, but to help them find their style, to be comfortable and confident in their own approach and communicate effectively. So it's a combination of very different types of people. And I said to them, let's begin with a short question. If you have 30 minutes with an audience that has never met you before, and obviously you want to establish and develop a relationship with them, what would you say to them in those 30 minutes? I don't mean exact message. I mean, say, what do you want to get over? What do you want to get across to them? That will, want them, that will have them come back. That will have them be somewhat attracted and be intrigued to communicate further. And I went around the room. We didn't go to everyone. It was a large crowd relatively, a large audience. And I asked, selected a few people. And here was, here was essentially a combination of the different answers given to Some said, I want to inspire them. They should feel inspired. They leave inspired, not they leave neutral and vanilla as if nothing happened. They were somewhat inspired or affected. 
Others said, I would like them to do an action, get them to do an action. That way, you converted a potential or a listener to some type of active or action which, in a way, draws them in, whatever that action may be. Others said, I just want to get them to know me and know themselves, that we should know each other. I mean, there were different answers given. But the one one that I was looking for most, nobody responded. No one said. Even though they were speakers and they had audiences, some of them had communities, some had synagogues, some had different, uh, different type of uh, constituents. What was the word? And I said to them, the word is trust. One word. You want to earn their trust. Because when you earn their trust, then there's a connection made. Now, you can't buy trust. You can't manipulate it. Maybe you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And in general, especially with the crowd, one-on-one, if you're a very good manipulator, which I don't even want to go there, perhaps you can manipulate someone. But generally with more people, and there's intelligent people, and different types and diverse, it's more difficult. And of course, we're looking for, we're not looking here to fool anyone or manipulate anyone. So trust is something that you cannot ask for. You can't trust me. It has to be earned. So, of course, the follow-up question, fine, great, trust. So they go away after 30 minutes. If there's trust, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. If there's no trust, as brilliant as you are, they won't. If there is trust, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are. Oh, I should have mentioned one person actually said to blow them away intellectually, to really show them something that they never heard before. So, of course, the follow-up question is, how do you gain trust? How do you earn trust? And therein lies the heart of and the, of, of the art of communication, the heart and art of connection and communication. And remember the words, not just communication, connection. That's what's going on here, connection. Communication, yes, you can communicate real estate tips or how to cook or how to invest or other types of, uh, or give them information, data about whatever it may be, scientific data. That's not necessarily a connection, that's a communication. Connection is a bond, something intimate. And the real powerful communicators create intimacy between themselves and whoever is they're communicating. And that can be one-on-one, and it can be one-on-one audience. So how do you do that? Several elements. And let's begin with the ingredients, and we'll develop this further. First is they have to feel that you're like them. Someone that speaks from a pedestal, from an ivory tower, you feel they may have something to say, they may be intriguing, but if you don't feel that person is like you, that they cry like you do, that they laugh like you do, that they share similar concerns, they care about the same things, you haven't connect a connection. So personalization is vital. You're not just talking academic, abstract ideas. There's a connection being made by seeing and identifying. Empathy takes it even further, a sense of empathy that you have empathy as the speaker, as the communicator, and the one that's listening senses your empathy. I once heard an expression, I'm not sure who coined it, but it's a beautiful, powerful line. It says, no, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If there's a sense of care, so this goes beyond, not just that they identify that, they see, oh, you have a life similar to mine, but they see you care about the human condition, about human suffering and pain sensitive to matters like that, a person who cares, then they want to hear what you have to say. 
if you just know a lot and you're sharing how brilliant you are, as I said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So that goes a long way. Now, you may think, what does that have to do with communication? That's an emotional connection and so on. Well, even communication with strangers, even if you're just giving a lecture, it's necessary. Definitely in a relationship, whether it's spouses or, as I said, with children or families and more internal connections. Because often that, too, sometimes loses a human touch. Simply giving time, listening to someone, giving time and hearing their concerns, even if you say nothing, is unbelievably valuable because you're given attention. You're giving them the dignity that they matter and they're valuable enough and a validation, even if you don't say a word. Can you imagine? And of course, if you're speaking, and I'm talking here about all levels of communication, and you're speaking, obviously you have to say something, but that's words are dripping out of your mouth that have that warmth, that have that empathy, that have that sensitivity and care. That doesn't mean you need solution for all problems. It means, however, you're there with you. I'm here with you. It's like saying the message, I am in it with you. Convey that, even in 10 minutes, in 5 minutes, a half hour, and I'm not going to say you win over everybody, but you're far, far more ahead than if you said great ideas. I'm in it with you. You're in it with me. We need each other. Now, let's step back a boat. I know I went right into tips, but this is what this is about. Approach and tips, but... Obviously, it goes a little further. The question is, some people say, I can't bring myself that way. I mean, I could try to fake it. I can't bring myself that to that. Well, that goes down to how do we emote? Unfortunately, as, adult, as we grow into adults, we become sometimes perhaps intellectually intelligent and not so emotionally intelligent. What that means is that we hide behind our defense mechanisms. We have our armor. We have our walls. And it's for, often for good reason, because we've been hurt. Or we feel that we could be hurt. So we don't want to show that vulnerability. So we put up our defenses. Sometimes they're more sophisticated, so people don't tell, can't tell. But when you communicate with someone, and your defenses are up, and there's no vulnerability at all, then it goes two ways. You can't just be giving and expect people to receive. If there's a wall... That wall is going to work both ways. It's going to block you from really expressing yourself and it's going to block people from really hearing you. I should qualify. I'm not talking about cooking or real estate tips. There may, may not need to have vulnerability. You may not need to be present quite that way. There they're coming and perhaps paying you even to hear your expertise in whatever area it is. But when we talk about communication of the sort that creates connection, where you want to create a relationship one way or another, then it's absolutely imperative that this element is in there. So because we have not developed emotional intelligence, even with ourselves, it becomes increasingly difficult in communication. And you have to be ready to admit that. Admit it not in the form of confession or guilty or something of that nature. Admit it in order to be able to work on it. Not blame somebody else. Which brings me to the next point, that if you don't get through to someone... Often it's you, not them. We, often like, we, we usually gravitate to blaming them. They're not receptive, they're busy, they're distracted, they're callous, they're insensitive. A good communicator does not think that way. You always think about what did I not say correctly to create the right connection, to engender the appropriate trust. And this isn't about self-blaming, it's about digging deeper 
into that part of you. Going to the, back to the expression of care, a beautiful statement in the book of Proverbs. It says, As the face is reflected in water. You look into a water, you see a face is reflected back to a face. So too one heart is reflected in another heart. Which means when you bring yourself and you emote properly with sensitivity and empathy, there's always going to be a reciprocal response. Not always exactly on the same level, but there's reciprocity. You can't expect a heart to respond to a heart unless you bring your heart there. Another expression used for that, one of my favorites, is words from the heart enter the heart. A great middle age, around 1,000 years ago, 900 years ago, sage Rabbeinu Tam coined that. Words from the heart enter the heart. Which, of course, implies that words from the mouth or from the mind enter one ear and go out the other. They may go into the mind, but they're not going to stick. Entering the heart requires heart. Today we have the concept of mirror neurons, which has been proven. The classic example is that when you see someone, for example, God forbid, about to close a door on their finger, and they don't notice, you'll cringe as if it's closing on your own finger. Because you're identifying and empathizing your neurons are mirroring their neurons. Because why would you have that cringe? Because you're immediately identifying with that situation, that scenario. Now, of course, there's positive examples as well. It's essentially that empathy something going on that's deeper than just the individual. And you're touching it when you communicate in that connective and intimate fashion. Now let's take this to a further level, to a deeper level. I, may have, I have talked about this, you may be familiar with this, something I did that I don't think you'll find a handful of people on earth that, have, that do the same. And I'm not saying to toot my horn, it's just a reality, a technological reality. And that is, for hours upon hours, years ago, in my case, it was approximately the year 1976 through 1992. I was a young man, a younger man. And my, one of my jobs was, or my primary work was, I was a student most of those years or part of those years. And it was to listen to my master, to my teacher, to my great mentor and Rebbe. For hours upon hours, when he would speak on the Sabbath and on holidays, and notes were not could not be taken because of the holiday, because of the Sabbath prohibition, and no recordings. So there were no recordings and no notes. So how did we remember it? With our minds. And almost verbatim, almost verbatim remembering, and this was no small feat. Just to give you an example, the pace of his speaking, of the Rebbe's speaking, was approximately, we know this from the recorded talks, approximately one hour of talk yielded 20 Eight and a half by 11 double space pages. So think of it this way. Five hours would yield 100 pages. And that was our measure and litmus test to know how well we're doing. And we did quite well. We could get a 98 out of 100 pages without redundancy. So, of course, that's a, a tremendous feat. How, how could you accomplish that? How is it possible to remember that much? So in the, in the context of our discussion here, I'm not going to go through all of that because this is a discussion on communication and connection as well and listening and hear and being heard that the real art of memory is the art of listening and the real art of listening is the art of absorbing. So one of the key elements 
in truly retaining information, data, is that you're open and receptive to receiving it. Think of it this way. A young, young children remember things very well. Stories, songs, experiences, even nonsense. Once it's etched in the child's psyche, it remains there forever. When it comes to adults, it's far more difficult to retain quite that way. Look at uh, alphabet, teach a new language. To a child, children, they could sit and absorb A, B, C, D. Try teaching the same to an adult. Adult doesn't have patience. So now, if memory is a faculty of the intellect, it would be seem intuitive to say that the more mature mind is a better memory. And yet we find that children remember better than adults. Clearly, memory is not just a faculty of the intellect. I would say it's not even a one of intellect. It's really a faculty of absorbing. It's a faculty of humility and being like a dry sponge that absorbs ideas. A wet sponge, a saturated sponge, is full of ideas we have already processed. So the key thing to remember is that in the brain is a figurative two type of wheels. One wheel we'll call the absorber, and the other wheel is the processor. When you're busy absorbing, you can't be processing. And when you're processing, you're not absorbing. It's two stages in any intelligent process. The healthy approach would be first you absorb, first you listen, you absorb, you retain, and then you process. The problem is adults who already developed ideas and developed perspectives on life are saturated minds. So when you hear a new piece of information, you're not in the total dry sponge absorption mode. You're processing it while you're listening, which is why sometimes you miss important points. You try to fit it into your existing framework. So the key to truly remembering and retaining and absorbing was to shut off the processor as much as possible. Not to try to analyze or understand or connect it to other ideas and put it into some context, but just to listen. To do that requires a tremendous respect of the one you're listening to. Because if you're processing, I know no one would consider that disrespect, but I can tell you as a speaker, you get up there, you speak. You can immediately see people right away are saying, and I'm sure put yourself in the shoes. You're listening to someone speak. I like this speaker. I don't like this speaker. I can make money with this. I can't make money with this. It's relevant to me. It's not relevant to me. You're processing. You're already giving judgment. And I don't mean necessarily negative judgment, but you're already processing. You're inserting yourself in the conversation. True absorbing would be like research. True research. You don't come to conclusions while you're in the middle of research. You don't process. You gather data, and you don't come to any conclusions. Or like a judge and a jury. They hear a, or see a, a persuasive piece of evidence or a persuasive witness. Fine. We move on to hear others. No one who's at least honest would want them to come to a conclusion because one witness was so persuasive. Say, that's part of the data. Let me see all the information. Then let me process it all, compare it, and come to some type of conclusion. So it's important to process. But if you process when you should be absorbing, you're going to miss many, many key nuances and maybe make major mistakes even. Children, in a way, if they were educated in a healthy way, we should encourage, which is their natural processes, to first absorb. Because no child's going to come to a conclusion. They have no, no data, no information. 
absorb, 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 then process. But as we become adults, we have, we have already lazy minds, or someone I would say undisciplined, untamed minds, so we process before we absorb properly. And the smarter you are, the faster you process, and the less you absorb. That's a rule. Because your mind is so filled with ideas, and you're so successful. So it's actually the brilliance that works against you in absorbing. It doesn't work against you in processing. So let's take it back to the art of communication and connection. How to listen and be heard. It's exactly the listening. Hearing and listening are not the same thing. You can hear words. You can even repeat them verbatim like a parakeet. But you haven't listened. You haven't absorbed it. And that's a great challenge. You hear someone say something to you, someone that loves you, a child, a spouse, and you don't agree with them. Or you're, for some reason, blinded by their critique of you. Or whatever it is that doesn't... What happens? We close off, we shut down, and we're not absorbing. We either dismiss them outright, or even if you don't dismiss them because you're more cordial than them, a little etiquette, but in your mind you dismiss. You're not really listening. And when they ask you, did you hear what I said? Yeah, you can repeat word for word. Maybe you can repeat it. That tape recorders also repeat things. But there's no human soul there. There's no one absorbing. Tape recorders don't absorb. They just hear. Listening is a particular art. It's the art of absorbing and listening to another. Their joy, their pain, the empathy I was talking about earlier. And that's the key also to memory and the key, of course, to love. So love is a great component in this element. You love the person that's speaking to you. You love what they're saying, even if you don't agree with it, but you love that they have a position. That allows you to respect their dignity and to put yourself aside, your ego, your interests, even your opinion, and just listen. Then you could say, okay, I've heard what you said. I listened to what you said. I've absorbed it. I want to give you my opinion. But not you rush to give your opinion. Not that you can't wait for them to finish your opinion or middle of the sentence. How often? That people already telling you middle of the sentence, they're already giving you their opinion, they didn't even hear what you had to say. I've had this people say to me, we have it, and, and they say something to me, and I respond and say, Well, I don't necessarily agree. So they rephrase it as if I didn't get it. I will rephrase it. The sign of someone who hasn't even listened to what you're saying. They rephrase it, and you say, You know, I heard what you said now, I listen to your rephrasing, and I still disagree. And I've literally had people tell me, well, you didn't really hear what I said, because if you heard what I said, you'd never disagree. How, I said, how do you know that? Maybe there is another approach. Are you so arrogant, so narcissistic to think your way is the only way? No question that if you heard it right, and they will not give, they don't give you the space to really listen to what you have to say. Now, I'm sure we're all guilty of it to some extent, but it's not necessarily a virtue to be proud of. True listening is listening to something even if you totally disagree because the person has the dignity, the right to express themselves. Now, they may be totally wrong. So find a way, a sensitive way to communicate. Sometimes you have to find the right word. Sometimes it takes time. But if you care about the person and you respect the person, then you're going to find a way to communicate a position that does not sound defensive or sound aggressive or anything of that nature. One of the hardest things is to repeat something to someone that you disagree with. But it's an excellent exercise in true listening. Because you're listening and you say to the person, you know, I disagree with you. However, we know, we agree to disagree. Let's say you go to a spouse, a long-standing issue. 
That's already become a silent issue. You don't talk about it. I'd like to hear you say to them what you have to say. And I'm going to completely be silent. And I'm going to try to repeat to you with a full, without mincing words, without compromising your tone and your message, what you have, your opinion is. And tell me how accurately I convey it. I know it's a little trick exercise because it's very difficult, almost impossible to repeat something you disagree with without giving some caveat or some weakening it in some way so you can then undermine that case so you can present your opinion. But try do that and you'll see what kind of connection you make. The mere fact that you have attempted is already a respectful thing. And going one step closer to be able to understand another perspective even if they may be wrong, but there's something maybe to be learned from that perspective. Maybe they have one detail that may be right. This is all part of the process. Now you can see from all of this, this requires investment. So let me share with you one of the exercises I've used in demonstrating to people how to improve their memory, which is really how to improve their retention. So I did this with over a thousand people, but in small groups of 30, 40 people. An exercise, you can try it out. Tell me how you do the goal is to take any book you like, could be a book you've read many times, open it to any page, read it as many times as you like, no time limit, and then close the book and write down on a piece of paper what you just read. See how well you did. Before we begin, I always ask the people, I say, tell me, estimate, how much of the page, how much percentage of the page are you going to accurately capture? in your memorized version that you put down on paper. Most people say between 65 and 85% of the page. 100% would be perfect, 0% would be completely... 65 to 85, 70 to 85. And then we begin. Everybody opens their book, and you see immediately, I see people, the ones that think they're the smartest, quickly doing it, they do it, they knock it off, they right. Close the book, and they sit like this. Okay, well, proud. I'm waiting for the rest, the slow ones, to finish. I always smile inside to myself. You'll see why in a moment. And then when they're finished, around 15 minutes, everyone's done. I ask everybody to give the book and what you've written to your neighbor. Let them evaluate and mark your paper. How well did you convey the page? And I don't mean word for word. The idea is the flow of ideas. The first time around, I don't think once that anybody hit 70%. Even though everyone estimated at least 70%. And here's the interesting thing. The ones that finished quicker, the ones that thought they were smarter, the smartest ones, their numbers go down dramatically. Lower percentage. To the extent, you won't believe this, to the extent that the smartest ones in the room, the ones that did it quickest, well, usually the ones that thought they were the smartest, they often wrote on the paper something that contradicted what it said in the book. And when I asked them and confronted, I said, one second. They say, because I didn't agree with it. They didn't even listen to my instructions. I said, but that was not the exercise whether you agree or not. It wasn't asking you your opinion. I was asking you to convey what it said in the paper, even if you totally disagree. What happened? Their processor got in the way. Their intelligence got in the way. Their brilliance got in the way. And what happened? They processed, and therefore they went with their processing, not with the retention. The second time around, and we do it a second time, 
everybody's percentage goes up, but this time everyone takes it slowly. It's not 15 minutes, at least a half an hour. And people read, I see they read it again, and the ones that really were embarrassed make sure they read it, and then they read it, I see, you see they memorize it. What's happening? They have put now an exerted effort to retain, to absorb and not process. And their percentages go up in direct proportion to as much as you do that element of, I would call it humility. It's suspending your processor in order to allow your absorber to fully absorb as much as possible. There was a, that great book that was called uh, Drawing with the Right Side of Your Brain, best-selling book about art. So it was an exercise there, interesting exercise that a, 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 an art teacher was training beginners. And they began with, uh, let's see how well we do. So one of the most famous uh, photographs is, of course, Lincoln, the Lincoln, the Lincoln Penny. The profile, was it the profile of Lincoln? Face of Lincoln, a semi-profile. And everybody was given the penny or the picture of Lincoln. And draw, let's see how well you do. You can imagine beginners who were terrible, didn't look anything remotely close to the original. Then the art teacher did something fascinating. Told everybody to turn over the picture. Draw Lincoln upside down. Now you'd think they'd do much worse. They don't even see the face now. They did much better because the face of a person in a way captivates us and we create an image in our minds. And it's hard to focus on the detail. When it was upside down, it, it looked like nothing. So they just copied blindly lines and contours and angles and it came out to be 80% better. Well, I remember the percentage. So it was actually their recognition of the face and recognizing a face in general that got in the way. similar to what I've just described. Now, what did we derive from this? What did we learn from this? We learned from this that the art of connection, the art of communication and connection, how to listen and be heard, how to be heard is how to listen. You listen well, you'll be heard well, because there's a connection being made between two people. And you're getting yourself out of the way. The more you insert yourself in the conversation, the less the other person is going to listen to you. The less you listen to them, the less they'll listen to you. So the art of being heard is to listen. The art of speaking is to listen. I say this very often to people who are learning to speak or are already public speakers. I say, it sounds odd, but when you're speaking to people, whether it's one person or to a crowd, even to thousands of people, you need to be listening as much as you're speaking, I would say even more so. So I say, what are you listening to? They're all quiet. We're not talking about a noisy crowd, a rowdy crowd. You're listening to the vibes. You're listening, you're trying to absorb this, the, the sentiment. The feeling that's not quite tangible. And you could see sometimes in body language, in face, facial expressions, how they laugh, how they cry. You're really trying to connect with the audience and absorb them in some way. And then give back as you understand it through your language. When a person can really do that, you've created the ultimate connection. It's the ultimate communication. Because it's no longer two individuals. It's one individual bonding with another individual. Each in an appropriate way, of course. And each in their own way. Obviously, our bonding with a spouse or with children is different than bonding with a, an audience when you're lecturing before them or speaking before them. But actually, I, don't, I hate the word lecture for this reason. 
because lecture sounds like lecturing them. You're connecting with them. And especially when you speak about personal matters. So if you think about it, a lot of this is counterintuitive. It's like you think, you know, I'm coming in to share my wisdom, to share my brilliance, to share what I know. Yes, there, there is an element of that, but that's not the primary connection. And that's not the primary communication. The primary is the bond that you create. And that's through getting yourself out of the way. An arrogant speaker is one of the most repulsive things. Who wants to listen to someone that's arrogant? You may tolerate it because you're gaining certain information you want to get. But you're not, you're not absorbing it. You may take notes because it's certain facts, certain things you want to understand and know, but you're not going to uh, um, absorb it in a personal way. Why, did you want, why would I want to absorb an arrogant person's ideas and thoughts and feelings? <clears throat> you see humility spilling out of the person. You see a certain honesty. You see a sincerity. And you see a vulnerability that changes everything. And this is a direly needed art in our day and age. Because with technology, things have just amplified, have just been multiplied and amplified so many times over. We send off emails and texts and social media and tweeting and Instagramming and all that. And how much of your heart is in there? Sometimes it's there. But technology tends to also depersonalize and we could also become detached. We don't even see the person we're speaking to. I find this challenge great. I used to speak only in front of live audience. There was no technology. There was no possibility to stream live or recorded online. It just didn't exist. So all you had was people. And there was the connection. There was a vibe. And the first time you stand in front of a camera, sit in front of a camera, or stand in front of a camera, and there's no one sitting in the room, it's very disconcerting. Because the camera is now alive. So it really, for me at least, is because of the years of experience of speaking to audiences that I have to literally, in my mind, get used to. I'm speaking to an audience right now. I just not, I cannot see them. But they see me and they hear me. And you try to kiss the camera and hug the people in that particular fashion. Can it be done perfectly as it with life? I'm sure there's differences. I'm sure they're subtle or even more than subtle. But because we have this gift of being able to stream and being able to reach so many more people through technology, can we convey the heart even though it's going through machines? I know the face is streamed, the face is transmitted, the words are transmitted, the images, the backdrop, and so on. But can you speak, can your heart be felt by another? And I believe yes. You may need to dig deeper. You may need to work harder because they don't see you in flesh and blood. I mean, an image of you, but not the real thing as it's happening. And it could be done. But technology definitely poses new challenges in this regard. But when you can master that and overcome that bridge, you're still an absorber. You're still absorbing. You're still listening. You're still giving, offering empathy. You're still caring. And all that can be communicated even with technology. But those that are looking to protect themselves and looking for excuses and looking for ways to hide Oh, technology is excellent. You can hide behind technology. You can even create a false identity. False bravado. Completely a different type of personality. Second life. I don't know if it still exists. There was a website, a very expensive website to buy in. Second life. You can be a completely different person than you actually are and with different types of friends and interests and so on. The dream life. 
But the great dream life is to be yourself. That's when it's real. To be comfortable with yourself, to be comfortable with communicating who you are, being vulnerable so that way other people can also feel they can communicate with you. So it is, at the end of the day, a bonding experience. As I said, different measures for different needs. This doesn't mean every person you meet you need to be vulnerable with and open up your whole heart and soul. You need to have discretion for many different reasons. But we need to have that in our lives, and it's a healthy thing. Because it's part of the human being, the needs, the human condition, is to have that type of connection. That's how it is. And my friends, this is why in our lives we need to always remember that the art of communication and, and, uh, and connection, there's that element of being able to bond in this profound way. And it's a tremendous exhilarating experience because not only do you learn from others as you absorb them, but you're also giving in a tremendous way. Your real you begins to emerge and begins to connect and there's nothing more powerful when you have that type of synergy. So, at the end of the day, the art of communication, connection, how to listen and be heard, lies in all these elements, which can be summed up, a certain humble attitude, some ability to recognize there's something more than you are, and you're ready to absorb realities and people that are beyond you. There's nothing more special than the dignity of a person's journey, of a person's soul, and their journey, whatever they go through, always remember that, because that is essentially the driving force. When you see people that way, here sits before you, or stands before you, a man or a woman with a dignified journey, and maybe a mysterious journey, one that you may not fully understand, but you fully respect and honor the divine dignity, and the majesty and dignity of this divine journey, that allows you to look at them in a different way. That means they have something unique about them. There's something powerful, something you can learn from them. As a great statement in the, in the ethics of the fathers, who is the wise person? Listen to the answer. It doesn't say the smartest one, the most brilliant one, the most educated one. Who is the wise person? Who is the chacham? Who is the wise one? The one who learns from every person. Which has a double meaning, that every person has something to teach, and every person has something to learn, who learns from every person. This teaches us that as much as we have, there's others, each one has their own unique contribution, and together we create a communion, we create a union of harmony within diversity. We're not talking about annihilating or invalidating or in any way suffocating another person's space. We're talking about respecting each other's and recognizing that we're all pieces of a larger whole. That idea that you need to be less for me to be more is based on such myopic thinking. I would say such narcissistic, selfish, and immature thinking. Nothing in existence is that way. Look at nature. Nature would destroy itself if every entity, if every fiber of existence, if every species would think that you're taking something away from me. Yes, I know we know the rule of survival of the fittest, but even that does not destroy species. That is quite actually keeping the balance of species. So I don't like that expression because it sounds like whoever's the strongest is going to win, everything else will disappear. It doesn't work that way. If all the prey would be destroyed, the predators would have nothing to eat. And if you look at it, you'll see those that the prey, 
multiply in larger numbers. The prey that is serves as prey. There's far more vegetation on earth than there are any species of animals. There are far more smaller insects than there are larger ones. The ones that are consumed more, multiply more. And if they wouldn't be consumed, they could create devastation because they would destroy all resources, as we've seen in many different experiments and actually many different scenarios. So there's a symbiosis, as I mentioned, a give and take, a relationship, a constant give and take that complements each other. And that is also true in the human being. So we have to build that confidence to recognize and have people around us that help support and validate and give us the confidence and self-esteem of who you are, which allows you then to give the respect to another person for who they are or he or she is. And then there's the give and take. And that's no matter who's doing the speaking, who's doing the listening. Even if I'm speaking right now, I am listening and I hope you're doing some speaking in your own way. And we join each other. But remember, absorption, processing. Absorb process. Never do one when the other is happening. There's always some overlap, but the absorbing is a critical first step. This topic, like all topics, can deserve a lot more discussion and to exhaust all possibilities, but we want to keep it at least to some extent manageable. So please go to MeaningfulLife.com and you'll find many more resources on this topic and others in addressing such a fundamental issue of how to connect, how to communicate. It's the key to love, it's the key to intimacy, it's the key to relationships. Employ some of these ideas next time you date, next time you communicate with your loved one or your potential loved one, and you'll have a very, very different experience. Try to absorb. You'll be surprised at the results. You really will be. Try it. Try something new. Don't be that smart. Don't be speaking like that joke they tell about the guy goes on a date. He talks about himself for two hours. He loves himself. He talks about everything he does, his accomplishments, his conquests. After two hours, he turns to her and says to this date and says, okay, enough about me. Now, what do you think about me? And now he gives her equal time. He thinks he's giving her space to talk about him. Of course, that's a joke. And... uh, that's not what we're looking for. It should be the other way around. Give her two hours to talk about herself. Absorb well. And let her ask you when she's ready to communicate. Obviously, I don't mean two hours. It should be a give and take. But have the strength, the strength to be quiet, the strength of restraint, of discipline, of discretion. And you'll be surprised what comes in, comes in return. Those forces that we refrain, that we restrain, have such enormous power much more than everything we give, because that brings out the best and the deepest in each of us and in each other. This has been Simon Jacobson, speaking about the art of communication and connection, how to listen and be heard. Meaningfullife.com, www.meaningfullife.com is our site. Please share, like, communicate with us, connect with us, listen to us, and we will listen to you, or we listen to you and listen to us, I mean it in a beautiful way, and be in touch in every possible way. We're here every week with an array of resources and programs, new programs, archive programs of all topics from A to Z on the entire spectrum of human life, how to turn it into a meaningful life. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. 
Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.